glad that you're here with us on this wonderful rainy day. Don't you love that? I'm so glad that we get to be together and worship God together. Just be one collective family and group that comes together and just gets to experience Jesus in this type of way. It's just such a, it's an honor and a privilege, you know, and I'm just glad that you get to be here with us this morning. You know, we're in a series called Love Your Neighbor, which we've been doing the last couple of years. Once a year, we do this series. And it's kind of become a tradition that we do this series around loving our neighbor, that we want to be known as a church who loves our neighbor really well. We want to be known as a, as a group of people who has this common mission that we would love those around us well. That we would not only love people in our church really well and inside the walls would be full of love, but also outside the walls. That where we go in our daily lives, it would be full of love. And I hope that more than almost anything, that if the, our community in Spokane, if they recognize North Church as one thing, I hope that what they recognize is they love people exceptionally well. And that is our heart and our prayer with this series is that we would embrace that, that we are to love our neighbor. And one thing that's become a tradition with this series is that we have some incredible partner organizations in town that love people extraordinarily well. And a whole wide range of different organizations and, and who they specifically target and how they love them. And so each uh, year that we have done this, we have always collected a special offering. And that every penny of what we take in, we just automatically give out to these uh, organizations who are doing that very well. And so this year, we're, uh, next week, we're going to take this uh, special offering in. And we're hoping and praying that we would raise $25,000, that we could take every penny of that and give to some partner organizations in town who are loving people exceptionally well. And so I would ask you that even over the course of this series, hopefully God's been stirring some things in your life on maybe how you could further engage your faith with uh, serving uh, inside our church, serving outside our church, um, and loving people well. But I'm also hoping and praying that God would put something on your heart that you would be so inclined to partner with some of these other organizations that we'll talk about next week and, and uh, that God would put something on your heart that you would give towards that, that we could raise $25,000 and just see every single penny of it go to these organizations. So please consider and be praying what God might ask you to give next Sunday. And it's going to be a fun Sunday that we get to celebrate all of our generosity and see how that uh, potentially could impact our community. Sound good? Good. Hey, have you ever found yourself uh, where you got into like a bad habit or maybe a, uh, a poor pattern or lifestyle or something like that? And it wasn't for maybe weeks, months, or years until you look back and then you noticed the effects from it. Where like small incremental decisions or moments or habits, they create this certain uh, direction. And then as you look back, you wonder, how did I get here? It has a large impact after a while of making these small little decisions. 
Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had that bad habit or, or poor lifestyle or something like that. And I'm sure some of you can remember back to a times where you go, how did I withstand this poor relationship for so long? Or maybe for some of you, it's like, how did I um, uh, drink so much alcohol and now I got to this place? I thought it was just, I was just having one more drink. Or maybe for you, it's, you know, you got you know, a poor spending habit where you, you spent money and, and handled your finances in a certain way. And then you get months or years down the road and you just think, how did I get here financially? That these small little decisions, habits, or things, they can have large lasting impacts where you look back. Recently, uh, some of my wife's uh, family, her sister, her husband, and her four kids moved in with us, and they lived with us for four months. It was awesome. It was great. We had, we had six children, four adults, and a dog in our house, and it was a blast. Kids ranged. The oldest was 10 years old, and the youngest was nine months old. It was fun. <laughs> We had a blast. It's something we would probably never trade for the world. That we spent so much time laughing and playing and uh, telling stories and uh, eating. And then we ate some more. And then we just kept eating. And so and there was things that I got introduced to that I had never experienced before. My wife never bought Nutella. And I got experienced to not only Nutella, but Costco-sized jars of Nutella. Come on, it's really, really good. I think I single-handedly took down multiple buckets of that stuff. We ate so much pizza over the course of four months that we put like dominoes to shame. And, and then her family, uh, her sister bought a pizza oven because if we were gonna eat so much pizza, it might as well be really good, you know, handcrafted fire artisan pizza. So it was like this, you put pellets in it and it creates a fire and it makes, you know, like a flying goat pizza. It was just amazing. They had a snow cone machine and we didn't just wanna have like a few snow cones. So what we did is we went to cash and carry and got four gallon sized jugs of syrup because we are gonna have that many snow cones. It was a blast. And because of that, I ultimately gained like 15 or 20 pounds. And here I am today, 20 pounds heavier. But man, was it fun. Time that we'll never get back with our family. My wife's family moves in with us and I get fat. It's just... <laughs> It's a one, it was wonderful. But you know, like each time I take another bite of pizza, or each time it was like another snow cone. Or every time you don't realize the effects that it's gonna do and have on you until four months later, you go, wow, that did have an, an impact. And now I gotta work it off. But you get comfortable and you find yourself, maybe like me, getting fat. And maybe that means getting comfortable, like I said, with a certain financial situation. Maybe that means getting comfortable in a poor relationship. And then what happens is those lasting effects, you look back and go, wow, how did I get here? Maybe you look back on even like your marriage and just think, how have we got so far away from that original first love? Could I ever love my spouse again like I did on that first day? You get into those patterns and those habits. You get comfortable with a certain lifestyle, and then you get fat like me. You know, church can be a lot like this as well. We as Christians can become easily spiritually fat. You know, we can fill up on really great music, 
and we can fill up on really comfortable chairs, and we can fill up on deliciously handcrafted roasted Tom Sawyer coffee as we come in, locally brewed and roasted. We can fill up on great teaching that lasts only 30 to 35 minutes to optimize the, the attention span of the average adult. We can get really spiritually fat. And it's easy to become spiritually fat when we get comfortable. And as we get comfortable, you can look back in your life and think, wow, how did I get here? How did I forget what that first love was like when I accepted Jesus into my heart? I remember how passionate I was and on fire I was. How did I get here today? It's easy to look back and think, why is my faith just not engaged like it once was? How am I here? And as we get comfortable, we can get spiritually fat. Bob Goff, in his book, Everybody Always, writes about this idea and gives this illustration um, about how he was reading a children's book, and the, and the book had a really simple premise that was, whatever you fill your bucket with, you'll become. And your bucket is like your life, that whatever you fill in with that, you'll become. So if you fill your bucket with a bunch of business deals, you're going to become a businessman. If you fill your bucket with a bunch of anxious uh, thoughts and fear, you're going to become a super uptight person. He also says, if you fill it with a bunch of arguments, you'll become a lawyer. And <laughs> upon careful examination, we have to figure out what are we filling our bucket up with? What are those things that we're filling our buckets up with? And in this series, when we talk about loving our neighbor. We want to fill those, our buckets with love. Here's what Bob Goff writes. He says, whatever you fill your bucket with is what you'll become. I want to become love. Don't you want to become like that as well? That as you fill more and more of your bucket full of love, you will actually become love. In John 17, it's just one of, uh, a beautiful uh, chapter in the Bible. And it, uh, what we get is almost like if you were to crack the door and listen into a conversation that Jesus is having with the Father. To see like, what is Jesus' heart really about? What does he really care? And you get to hear the things that Jesus prays himself. And here is part of that prayer when he's praying for his disciples in John 17, he writes, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the disciples, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prays that this group of people, his disciples would be united united together and that we would embody the, the, this same mentality and relationship that God the Father has with Christ, which is a relationship that is full of love, love, that we would be unified around that, 
and that the world would know him because of our love, that our relationship would be just as Jesus and the Father's relationship, full of love. So what is in your bucket? What are you filling your bucket up with? This is easy. It could be busyness for some of you, that you put so much busyness in your bucket. It could be fear. It could be isolation. I'm sure all of our buckets could look different. And Bob Goff in the book, he writes that he actually would carry a pail around with him, a bucket around with him to, to remind him in my day-to-day, what am I filling my bucket up with? And he talks about how he was a very impatient person and that what he didn't want to do is c- continually fill his bucket up with just uh, being very impatient. So he would talk about how I wanted to fill it up with patience every day. What are you filling your bucket up with every day? If you were to walk around and, and hold a bucket and people were to look inside, what would they see? What would they see? Would they see anger or impatience? Would they see fear or would they see love? All of our buckets would probably look different, but I do believe that there are some common threads. I believe that one of the principal barriers for us loving others really well is what we fill our bucket with. And I believe that one of those things that us as Christians fill our bucket with that uh, uh, is a barrier for us loving people well is comfortability. We love to fill our bucket with comfortability. Who doesn't love that? Every time that you are in a comfortable situation, it's like a big scoop of mashed potatoes and gravy. It's so good. It warms your heart and your soul and you don't want to leave it. We love being comfortable. But those fattening effects of our comfortability in our spiritual life and in our faith in the church shows its effects after time. And we're seeing some of those effects of some of that comfortability that we've had as we look at the following generations, the millennials and Gen Z. Millennials are leaving the church faster than any other generation before them. At at, at around a 60% pace, millennials are abandoning their faith and leaving it for a myriad of reasons. But one of those is around authenticity of going, is this really what it's all about? Is this really what it's all about? And the same is for Gen Z. Gen Z is also leaving the church at an alarming rate. And Gen Z is the first generation that has the most amount of numbers that are growing up in churchless homes. That they've never even heard the story of Jesus in any context before. Because there are less and less uh, uh, Christian households. And Gen Z has plenty of them. One of the other fattening effects of our comfortability as we look at the millennials and Gen Z in our consumption and teachings and and love for comfortability is this. Remember Jesus said in the Great Commission, he said, go into all nations making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 1-8 that it says that then the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That Jesus presents this great commission that we would go into all nations and we would baptize people, we would make disciples, we would see lost souls one for eternity, that we would be his witnesses that do that. 
This is called evangelism. An author, speaker, and pastor, Eugene Cho, has done some extensive research around the topic of evangelism relating to the younger generations in the millennials and Gen Z. And what he and the Barna Group found in a, in a large survey is that 47% of Christian millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. It's wrong to evangelize. 47% of Christian millennials believe that evangelism is wrong. That is a massive number. Why? Well, there's a lot of research around it, but as you look at it, I think you could boil it, some of it down to, we don't like that it makes us uncomfortable and it makes another person uncomfortable. And in the age of relativism, that if someone is uncomfortable and we're going to make someone uncomfortable, that's wrong to do. It's wrong to evangelize. It has a negative connotation. And in Pastor Eugene Cho's hometown where he pastored for 23 years in Seattle, Washington, this word he says, they actually call it the E word. The E word. You don't say it. It has a negative connotation because it makes me and other people uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but that, that has to change. That has to change. And this makes others uncomfortable. This is why many millennials have gravitated toward the idea of justice and causes. Here is what Eugene Cho wrote on Twitter. And I think it sums up some of his research well. That he wrote, way too often, I've been asked, what's more important, evangelism or justice? Um... The Great Commission and the Great Commandment are not competing commands. Don't get fooled into believing one is more important. Both truly matter to Jesus. Both constitute the whole gospel. The gospel of Jesus is not just justice. The gospel of Jesus is not just evangelism. It is both married together that, that um, not only love people in their needs and where they're at, but love them enough to want their soul to be one for eternity. Jesus was, uh, was continually ridiculed for the people that he hung out with. And when you, in those times, when you invited someone into your home and you ate a meal with them, it said something about who you are, what you value, and what you prioritize in life. And if what Jesus prioritized in life at that time, um, if he prioritized righteousness in good people, he would have had a lot of meals with a lot of righteous people and said, this is the priority, you know, having relationship with lots of righteous people. But he didn't do that. Jesus had lots of meals and he prioritized people who were broken people who were sinful, people whose soul was in need of restoration and regeneration. And so he was ridiculed and said, people would say, why do you hang out with people like that? Here's what Jesus says to that in Luke 5. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus not only came for the brokenhearted, but also the broken body who needed physical healing. Jesus came not only for the poor in spirit, but the poor in finance. 
Jesus came not only for the spiritually imprisoned, but those who were criminals to be cared for. Both the great commandment to do unto others as you would want others to do unto you, and the great commission to go into all nations, baptizing people and making disciples, both loving people in action and loving them through evangelism are equally important. And one thing as a church that we must do is step forward in those uncomfortable situations. We have to be able to stand strong and tall in the midst of uncomfortability and teach the younger generation what it's like to stand in uncomfortable topics, conversations, moments with uncomfortable people and uncomfortable situations. Because what matters to Jesus should matter to us. And he came for sinners to seek repentance. Evangelism, according to Eugene Cho, is what he writes, simply sharing that Jesus is Lord. It's sharing that Jesus loves, Jesus saves, and Jesus wants a relationship with us. You know, God grows us by allowing us to do uncomfortable things. He doesn't need you, but he wants your heart. And he knows that he gets your heart the more that he allows you to be in uncomfortable situations. Because of what Bob Goff writes, he says, comfortable people don't need Jesus, desperate people do. He'll put, God will put difficult people, difficult situations in your path. He's going to put hard circumstances in front of you in hopes that you walk through it that you withstand it, and that you grow from it. What is the next uncomfortable step for you? What would that look like? One of our uh, great organization in town is called World Relief. And what they do is they welcome um, and help get refugees here into the States, welcome them and establish them into our community. It's a wonderful organization. And just a few months ago, I had the opportunity to go through what they call a refugee simulation. And it was awesome. And it was so eye-opening because you are acting like you are a refugee and you go through this whole process. And it's just so eye-opening that refugees, you know, they are not terrorists from other countries. They are the most vetted people that enter the U.S. And it was just this awesome opportunity to go see and talk to real people who've gone through this process. And World Relief, they help bring them into um, uh, not, not only our nation, but into loving arms as well. They partner with churches and other organizations. And one thing they do that is just amazing is that they meet the refugee at the airport when they get off the plane. And there's volunteers and people who do this that they go and they uh, wait at the airport as this person comes off the plane. And when a refugee comes, they're all given the same stuff when they get here to the U.S. That they have like maybe some clothes on their back that they were, that they just had. And then they're given one small little sack and it just has some personal belongings, and they show up not knowing anything, not knowing how to live, and then someone meets them there, welcomes them, and then they help establish them and, uh, and get an apartment and get a job and build relationships. It's this amazing organization. But you know what's interesting as I think and reflect on that? Isn't that how Jesus met all of us? 
Isn't that how Jesus met you? That he met you when you were broken, when you were empty, when you had nothing to offer him whatsoever, when you were afraid. And Jesus met you there with open arms as you walked off that plane, not knowing anything and afraid. But Jesus met you there and he, he gave you uh, food to eat, didn't he? By the, the, his body hanging on the cross. And he clothed you with his own righteousness. That Jesus meets us all in our own brokenness with nothing to offer. So what's your next uncomfortable step? If we're really going to love everyone always and love our neighbor well, it will take us to move further down the road of uncomfortability than where you're at right now. Because God wants your heart. And he gets your heart when you start obeying him and doing the things that please him and filling your bucket up with the things that please him. So what are those things? What are the things that we should be filling our bucket up with? What are the things that please God? Jesus talks about this in one of the clearest illustrations in the entire Bible, in Matthew 25, in the parable of the sheep and the goats. And what this is, is Jesus is talking about one day the, uh, when the final judgment happens, when after it's all said and done, there we are all going to be in uh, uh, eternity with him. And we're going to sit around his throne and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats, the people who will spend eternity in eternal punishment and those who will spend eternity uh, with him forever. And he wants to talk about stuff with all the nations. Listen to what he chooses to talk about here as we read this. Jesus says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, who in this is clearly Jesus, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Clearly what Jesus cares about is these things here. And what can easily become a works-based scripture, and we could do a whole sermon series on Matthew chapter 25, but we're gonna spend just a moment on it here really quick. But I encourage you to go take thoughtful examination of this. Where in here do you see grace? Isn't it easy to look at this and go, well, clearly the people who did something, they gained something 
uh, in return, which was eternity. And those who didn't do something didn't get anything at all. And it's easy to look at this and go, well, there must be, a wor- there, there must be works involved in here. That clearly what's important to Jesus is doing these very select things. And if you don't do those things, then it's not important. Then uh, what you're doing is a less important task to God. That if you are not uh, visiting people in prison, then you're doing something less important to God. And as long as you do those things, you'll get something in return. And I just want to say that if we can look at one piece in here that shows the real grace and character of Jesus, um, that it's easily overlooked. That after the king says that um, you fed me and uh, and you gave me something to drink and you did these things, listen again in verse 37 when it says, The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? It was almost as if they don't even know what he's talking about. What do you mean we did those things? And what's implied here is we see that they had taken on the character of our God. And that they were doing things that they weren't even aware of which they were doing. They weren't t- keeping tasks and tallies of all the little good things they did in life. What they were doing was second nature to them. Because what we know in God's character is he was the ultimate example of grace. And that he found all of us in our own brokenness. And that he fed you. And he gave you something to drink. And he clothed you with his own righteousness. And in your own spiritual imprisonment. And he, uh, these very things that he extended his grace to you. And as a response to that, these people who were inheriting eternity forever were unaware and don't even remember all the things in which they did. That it's implied that they did these things because of the grace of God. The people didn't know what they did. There was something about their own response to the grace of Jesus because of our own brokenness that he fed us, he clothed us. Our response was just started living a life and filling our bucket up with the things that please him. So what might that look like today? What might that be like if Jesus was to get up here and say that same thing he said to the the disciples? Well, it might look something like this. Remember when you went on that mission trip? Remember when you you helped that, that community and you spent hours and toiled? You remember that? Well, yeah, I guess. That was like, I was like 16 when that happened. Yeah, whatever you did for the least of these you did for me. Remember when there was that refugee who came to your city and your small group at your church in your small group, they rallied around him and they helped establish them in a home. And you even took up a little, a little offering uh, in your small group and you helped provide just some food and clothes for them. Remember when you did that? Well, yeah, I, I guess so. Like, you know, we were just, yeah, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Remember when there was that teenage, teenager who got pregnant and she w- had just had a baby. She was desperate. Remember what you did for her? Remember those moments you sat and you cried with her and the moments that you rejoiced with her? Remember those moments that you helped uh, show her what it's like to be a mom? Well, yeah, I, I guess I remember that. 
Whatever you did for the least of these, you've done for me. Remember when you stocked those shelves every week of food so you could give it out to people who were less fortunate than you? And remember how you, with full, uh, so much love, you handed that out and treated people with dignity and respect? Well, yeah, I don't know. It was just part of my week that I did. Whatever you do for the least of these, you did for me. You remember when there was that college student who had no friends and was in a new city and in a new church, and you reached out and you had him over and you cooked him a meal? You remember that? Well, yeah, they were just fun. Remember how you, you kind of helped them get a few things whenever they were in need, and you, or you helped them study, or you sent them an encouraging text or something? Well, yeah, it was just, I loved the kid. They were just fun to be around. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. It might look something like that, that as we take on the character of God, It's just things that we don't even realize we're doing. As we fill in our bucket up with the things that God cares about, then he says, look at what you've done. Caring for the things that I care for. And let me just say this. Don't just agree with what Jesus says. Do what he says. Think of it like this as a parent who tells their child to clean their room. And he says, go into all corners of your room, picking up all manner of clothes and putting them in the baskets and making it clean from here to there to the ends of the house. And your child said, oh, that's a convicting word. Ooh, that'd be good, mama. Thank you. I I agree that that is what you are asking me to do. And then they didn't clean. Would that grieve your heart as a parent and go like, I I couldn't have been more clear with what I asked you to do. And you literally didn't do it. Let me ask you, don't just agree Let me tell you, don't just agree with what Jesus says. Do what he says. When we get uncomfortable and we start stepping into those uncomfortable places, we start needing Jesus more. This is where our faith gets re-engaged, where you've been being comfortable in your life, where your faith starts getting engaged is when you're uncomfortable again. And that's where you need Jesus. So what are you filling your bucket with? Some of you, maybe a better question is, your bucket is so full already, you have nothing left to put in there. What do you need to take out of your bucket so you can start putting the things in your bucket that God really cares about? What's the next uncomfortable step for you? What is that? My prayer is that you would make a difference by the work, not by your own work, but by the work of the grace of God in your own heart. And that we would not just be bearers of the gospel, but we'd be people changed by the gospel. And that that we would seek to see other people changed by the gospel. Through you, the love of God would be known by the least and the lost, by the physically hungry and by the spiritually hungry that the great commission would ring just as true in your heart as the great commandment. That when the king comes and much of what you have done for him will simply be because 
you have taken on the character of the king. Would you pray with me? Lord, first and foremost, I just ask God, just is here I am even saying these own words, Lord, would you reveal to me the very things in my own life, my own bucket, Lord, that I need to look at and see what I'm filling up with. God, would you show me the things that I need to take out so I can replace that with the things that you care about. That I would replace that with your love, Lord. God, and for all of us in here, God, show us the areas in our own heart and life where we need you more. Show us our next uncomfortable step. Who is that person? Who is that situation, that conversation, Lord, that we might step into and live uncomfortable lives that are marked by the grace of you, Jesus? Thank you, God. We pray next week for our offering, Lord. God, would you reveal to us in our heart how can we give so that others, like the least of these, can be reached. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, if you're new here, I would love to meet you at a brief meeting at First Connect right underneath this monitor here for just a minute or two. Hey, if you're someone in need of prayer, there'll be a team of people right underneath this monitor who would love to agree with you in prayer. Hey, I love you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.